0: As you join me tonight in Bible study, expecting to study the book of Galatians, let me tell you that, well, we may or may not get to the book of Galatians. It has been quite a week. If the FBI ever comes and reads through my emails and text messages, they're going to know something strange happened this week. Normally I get, oh, 20 or 30, this week probably 500 I have just been inundated. It's been beeping, beeping, beeping all day long. And let me tell you why. Well, it starts with people going, they haven't found the first ever new moon yet. Is it too late for the rapture to happen? (laughs) No, no, we, we have to be patient. How many more minutes do we have to wait? Well, let's just be patient. Is it this year or not? Ask me in October. No, I want to know now. (laughs) And that leads me to come back and say, well, let's at least be patient until Yom Kippur. And that brings 500 more. What do you mean Yom Kippur? The, The rapture comes at the Feast of Trumpets. What's this Yom Kippur? Some of you have been with me many years. You know exactly what I mean when I say let's wait until Yom Kippur. And keep our spirits up, not get too downcast. But there's others that don't. So I came across a video this week. And after watching, I thought, I think this will help some people understand why I say, let's wait until the Feast of Yom Kippur. It's actually not a feast because you don't get to eat anything. But the word feast in the Bible there means actually the appointed times. So I sent it out just to a few people, and they shared it with a few people, who shared it with a few people, who shared it with the rest of the world, (laughs) who then called to say, I don't understand what this means. Well, okay. I just sent it out. It's an interesting video. But let me tell you why I found it so interesting. And then I'll talk about some of the questions that were raised because I had some really good questions raised. And they asked me would I please answer them tonight. Because normally I would wait till Yom Kippur and do this is part of the Yom Kippur teaching. But some people have as much impulse control problems as I do and they want to know. And they had good questions. Not the kind of questions I don't like. Sometimes I get emails that go like this. A friend asked me to watch this 12 hour video series. And I don't know if it's worth my time. So you watch it. Take detailed notes of every sentence and tell me whether you agree or disagree with that sentence and give me at least three Bible references to support your conclusion so that I don't waste my time watching it if it's not good. Those I kind of tear my hair out. I usually do it, but I tear my hair out while doing it. But no, these were really good ones. this video was put out by Dr. Barry Awe. I don't know if you've ever heard of Dr. Barry Awe or not. I have. He's a cool guy. He's a chiropractor. He's not a theologian. And he's put out lots of strange videos about why the rapture is at Purim or why it's at Shavuot or why it's at Shavuot. Halloween or whatever. And he's a chiropractor. So every chiropractor's got their little skeleton that he uses kind of like a puppet. And that bothers some people. But this one, for some reason, as soon as I saw the title, there was something in the back of my mind that said, Wayne, this one's going to be worth watching. It was called Biblical Proof that the year 5783 is a jubilee. And any video that begins with Biblical Proof of is going to catch my attention. And I have heard speaker after speaker over the last year talk about the year that just ended, which in biblical terms, or Hebrew calendar terms, was 5782, that that was the year of Shemitah, that is a Sabbath year, and that this year that just started, 5783, is the year of Jubilee, but they never ever supported it, they never ever said why. So I would listen to it and go, well, that's nice, but you didn't tell me why, and why should I believe it? But Dr. Ah laid it out. And it's not a teaching that originates with him, i got to tell you. It's one that he had t- taken notice of and said, i got to get this out because this stuff is cool. So he starts out with the fact that the Hebrew year that just ended is 5782. This one that just started, 5783. It's not been 5,782 or three years since creation. We all know that there's a gap of about 200 to 250 years of years they didn't add to the calendar way back when. Doesn't matter why they didn't do it, but they didn't do it. So we're approaching the year 6,000. He picked the year 210 kind of out of the, out of the air And say if we add that to where we are, we should be at the year 5,993. Because he thinks the seven-year tribulation period comes before the day of the Lord. And that's not correct. Not everything he says in the video is correct. What I tell you all to do? Be a filter and not a sponge. But that's neither here nor there. He said, does God look at that year... Or does he look at the Hebrew calendar, you're a fifty-seven eighty two slash fifty-seven eighty three? Or both, and can we tell from the scriptures? And he said, Yes, we can tell from the scriptures. So open up your Bibles to the book of Esther. To Esther chapter nine. Esther chapter nine. I also have the Hebrew text open up on a computer up here, but I couldn't possibly put that in front of the camera and let you see it. So you're just going to have to trust me on some of the things that I tell you about the way it's written. Let me know when you found Esther chapter 9. In Esther chapter 9, the ten sons of Haman are dead. They're dead. And the king asked Esther, is there anything else I can do for you? And in verse 13 of Esther 9, it says, Then Esther said, If it pleases the king that it be granted to the Jews who are in Shushan to do again tomorrow, according to today's decree, and that Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. You guys are well familiar with those words. The word tomorrow, Machar, means tomorrow, but it also means at a time in the future. At a time in the future. And then in the names of the ten sons of Haman. There are four letters that are a different size than the others. There are three that are real tiny. And there's one that's really large. And they're in the names of the ten sons. In the name Pardatha. That T-8 sound is a a T-A-B. And of course, every letter in Hebrew is also a number. A tav is 400. The next letter that's smaller is a sheen. And it's in the name Parmashta. And a sheen is worth 300. The next letter that's smaller than all the others is a zayin in the name Vizatha in verse nine. And a zayin is worth seven. So if you had 400 plus 300 plus seven, what do you get? 707. 707. The other letter that's a different size is huge in comparison to the others. And that's a letter vav. The letter vav is equal to the number six. So that six representing the sixth millennia would be from 5,000 to 5,099. That's the, the millennia, and then add to that 707, you get the year 5,707, which equates to the fall of 1946 after the year has changed. In the year 1946, there were 10 Nazis that were convicted of war crimes in early 1946. They were to be put to death in early 1946, but they were a string of appeals. And the appeals delayed the executions until after the Hebrew year changed from 5706 to 5707 in an October 16th of 1946 which is in the Hebrew year 5707 the sentence of the military court was carried out the traditional sentence of a military court in those days was what? firing squad but they weren't executed by firing squad The main measure of execution, the main method of execution in the United States of America at that time was electric chair. They weren't electrocuted. They were hung. Something that hadn't been done in in quite a long time. But in the book of Esther, it said that in the future, these ten sons of Haman would be hung. And the word for hung on a tree, the word tree in Hebrew is eights which also means wood and the army soldier who was the hangman at their execution was named John C. Woods. So just very interesting. But if it had not been for the appeals that pushed the executions after the change of the Hebrew year, they would have died in 5706. And these letters in the Torah would not have meant anything. It would have been close, but God doesn't do anything close. So he said, by the fact that the appeals pushed it over into 5707, which was the very year prophesied in the book of Esther, it shows that God acknowledges the Hebrew calendar today, even with its shortfall. Even to the fact that the year changes in the fall rather than in the spring, because it went from 5706 to 5707. So that was his argument to say, That God does acknowledge the Hebraic calendar of today. So the year that just ended was 5782, right? The year that's just begun is 5783. To tell whether a Jewish year, a Hebrew year, is a Shemitah year, which is a year of, of Sabbath or not, a Sabbath year you take the number 5782 and divide it by seven. If it comes out even, it is a Sabbath year. Does 5782 divide by seven evenly? (coughs) The answer is yes, it does. So it is in fact a Sabbath year, which is why they keep saying that, all those rabbis in Jerusalem. is because, well, you can prove it mathematically. Then if you take the the year 5782 and divide it by 49, that will tell you if it's the seventh Sabbath in a 49-year cycle. And it divides evenly by 49 to come out to 118. 118 even. And that number is a very significant year. We'll talk about it in a moment. So mathematically, you can show that it is a Shemitah year, that is a year that is a Sabbath year, and also that is the seventh Sabbath year of the cycle, and the 50th year is the year of Jubilee. Let's turn to the book of Leviticus and start putting some Bible to it. Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25, verses 1 through 17. And again, there's some things that jump off the page in Hebrew that you would never see in English. So verse 1 begins, And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, What does that word saying mean? It's a quote. It's right out of the lips of God, right? Right? Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. So the seventh year is the Sabbath year. Verse 5, what grows of its own accord of your harvest, you shall not reap. Which means you can't collect it all and put it in your barn. Nor gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it's a year of a Sabbath of rest for the land. It's a year of rest for the land. And the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you. Now, he just said you can't gather it. But you can go out and pick enough for today's fields, for today's food needs and requirements. Anybody can do that. It says, for you, your male and female servants, your hired man, and the stranger who dwells with you. For your livestock and the beasts that are in your land, all its produce shall be for food. So it's not wasted. You just can't harvest it all and put it in your barn. It's up for anybody. The Lord's harvest, his provision. You shall count seven sabbath of years for yourself. Seven times seven years. What seven times seven? 49. And the time of the seven Sabbaths of year shall be to you 49 years. So you've got seven seven-year cycles, which total 49 years. Then verse 9 says, You shall cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. So 49 years are complete. The next year is the 50th. That's the jubilee. On the day of atonement you shall make your trumpet sound throughout all your land. Now in verse 9, there's something significant in the Hebrew. It says in verse 9, the haavarta. The haavarta. Where we it says to sound, it says, and to cause to cross over. That's literally what the Hebrew says, you shall cause to cross over. And it's going to use that repeatedly, having to do with the trumpet that sounds on the day, on the year of Jubilee, the beginning of the year of Jubilee. It begins on the 10th day of the year. You will make a sound of the trumpet that causes to cross over, which is kind of interesting. So what
1: does that say? It, the trumpet of the Jubilee
0: to sound? To sound. Where they say you shall make the trumpet to sound, uh-huh. these both say to cause to cross over. And you will cause to cross over.
2: The word Jubilee here is Teruah
0: also. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. You shall make a Teruah. Okay, let's keep reading. Starting in verse 10. We'll go on. You shall consecrate the 50th year. And proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. Remember what Messiah read from Isaiah 61? And why they say that he was referring to the year of Jubilee. Is he talked about, proclaiming liberty to all the inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. So everyone who is in slavery is set free. Every piece of property that's been indebted or mortgaged is set free. But what I never knew, and I've wondered for a long time, And every lecture I heard on the subject just confused me more. is, Is that 50th year an extra year? And then the following year is year one of the next cycle. The answer is no. The 50th year is the first year of the next cycle. So the year after the seventh Sabbath year is both the year of Jubilee and year one of the next cycle. Which turns out to be very important to me at least. Verse 11, that fiftieth year shall be a jubilee to you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap, nor grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is the jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat its produce from the field. In the year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his possession. And if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. According to the number of years after the jubilee, you shall buy from your neighbor. And according to the number of years of crops, he shall sell to you. So God says you cannot permanently alienate the farmland. You can't do that. You can sell it for a period of time. And you must value it according to the number of years left before the next jubilee. Because at the next jubilee, it returns to you. So if there's 10 years left to the next jubilee, I can't charge you 20 years' prices. I can only charge you 10. And God adds, I'm the Lord, I told you so. Verse 16, according to the multitude of years, you shall increase its price. And according to the fewer number of years, you shall diminish its price. For he sells to you according to the number of the years of the crops. Therefore, you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. So, the year after the seventh Sabbath year is the Jubilee year, the 50th year, but it's also the first year of the next set of seven years. We need to go to Exodus chapter 40. And now there's something else that's added in Exodus chapter 40 that we do not get in Leviticus. Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter
1: 40. Could I ask a silly question? Yeah, go ahead. I'm apparently not able to do the math. Was a century for them 98 years or 99 years? Or was it 100
0: years? The answer was 100 years.
1: So you got 49, 49, that's 98. Yep, I know. And the next one would be a 1. Right. But you got another one too.
0: Correct. So there's two sets of 49 years plus two extra years in a century. Yeah. Yep, that's correct. And
1: it, it,
0: will that show up in here? Will not. It, won't. Okay. it will not. Exodus chapter 40 verse 1. That's why there's an in between you hear t- talkings about a jubilee being 50 years and a jubilee year which is different from the way they're using Jubilee. I wish they wouldn't use Jubilee two different ways because it is confusing. Jonathan Kahn does that within a single teaching. You refer to the 50 year Jubilee and the 49 year Jubilee interchangeably, and pretty soon my ears begin to bleed.
1: But I'll, I'll also, even, even the calendar with 12 months or 13 months, uh, because yeah. it was corrective, uh, that confuses anyone who's not in that
0: system yeah the reason there's a an adar bait in some years is because god said the passover must be in the spring
1: and the calendar so get off.
0: yeah if they didn't add the adar bait occasionally then pretty soon it would be in the winter time so it's based upon god's command because that it be in the, the spring the yeah right. exactly and it's a solar lunar calendar, which even makes the head hurt worse. <laughs> you can trace the calendar back, and it will go back through the computer models beautifully until you get to Hezekiah when he asked God to move the sun. And then the models break down.
1: Yeah. The
0: yeah, But in Exodus chapter 40, verse 1. Says then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, So again, it's right from the lips of God. Here we go, verse 2. On the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. That's not what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew says, Barosh Hashanah, which is on the head of the year or on new year's which is the head of the year, the first day of the first month it says is the 10th day of the month. So on a year of jubilee Rosh Hashanah, which are the literal words used in the Hebrew is moved to Yom Kippur. I'm in the wrong place. what's that I must be in the wrong place I can't read my writing i tell you what I'll just grab the notes right here it's Ezekiel yep yeah. I keep putting off getting my eyes checked because the rapture's right <laughs> around the corner. I was along with you. And and all, but, and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ezekiel chapter 40. But it's funny Exodus 1. 40. It does. It does. <laughs> yeah. That's why it read okay to me in English. But no. Ezekiel 40 verse 1. In the 25th year of our captivity, at the beginning of the year, that's literally Rosh Hashanah. And of course, Rosh Hashanah is another name for Yom Teruah, the day of the awakening trumpet blast. At the beginning of the year, at Rosh Hashanah, on the 10th day of the month, which is the asur LaChodesh. So for Rosh Hashanah to be on the 10th day of the year, this was the year of Jubilee. So in a year of jubilee, it starts at a Yom Kippur. And of course, it would end at Yom Kippur. The seven-year tribulation period is given to us in years, in months, and in days. So it's exactly seven 360-day years. It ends on the Day of Atonement. So what day must it begin on? A Day of Atonement. So it must start on a year of jubilee. And on a year of jubilee, according to Ezekiel 40, the first day of the year begins at Yom Kippur, not what we think of as the traditional Rosh Hashanah. So, let's go to the questions that were asked. I should have just read from my notes. Okay. Number one, could you go over Leviticus 25.8 and the significance of how that ties Leviticus 23, 23 to 25. Leviticus 23 to 20, verse 23 to verse 25 is the Yom Teruah passages and how the trumpet blows at Yom Teruah. You have to add in Ezekiel chapter 40 verse 1 to know that on a year of jubilee that moves to the 10th day of the Month. Are both the same day then? Or did Yom Kippur move? Yom Kippur does not move. So
1: you're celebrating both
0: on the same day? You're celebrating both on the same day. You had a Yom Teruah for the calendar year. Now you've got a Yom Teruah for the year of Jubilee. So there's two day of trumpets in that year when it's the year of Jubilee one on Tishri 1, and one on Tishri 10. Just like we have two calendars, it kind of blows the mind a little bit. It says, it's the hope we cling to for his coming this year. Right. But in a year of Jubilee, the last trumpet of the Feast of Trumpets doesn't blow until Yom Kippur. The next question was, I've never thought of the concept that the 50th year of Jubilee is actually the first year of the next 49-year cycle, thereby having a year be fulfilled with two different things. He says, that is, the first is the same as the last. Could you elaborate? Yeah, that's what I just did. He says, it makes sense to me. Otherwise, the cycle of week sevens would be off by one each week cycle. But does it make sense to you? The answer is yes. And it has bothered me for a long time. Go to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. I had always thought that the 50th year would be followed by the year one of a cycle. But then when you go back to Daniel chapter 9 verse 24... It says 70 weeks are determined. But you see an asterisk by the word weeks. It's not weeks. What is the word week? We all know. What's weeks? Shavuot. Right? We have the feast of weeks. Shavuot. This is Shavuim. So it's 70 groups of seven years. A seven year Sabbath cycle. 70 of them are determined for your people and for your holy city. The children of Israel failed to keep the Sabbath year 70 times. But notice there's no room in those 70 sets of seven years for a 50th year every 49. There's no mention of it. There's no room for it. And it says in verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. That is a block of seven Sabbath years. And then a block of 62 Sabbath years, but no mention of any 50th year, year of Jubilee. So it looks like they're continuous blocks of seven years until they get divided by time um, after Messiah is cut off. So yes, that made all kinds of sense to me. The third question was, is the Jubilee 49 plus 1 equals 50? A picture of Shavuot, where you count 49 days, and then the 50th is Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. I would turn around and say, to me, it says that Shavuot is a picture of the Jubilee. How you count seven years, and then you have this special Shavuot fulfillment, where what happens? What happens at Shavuot, which would picture the Jubilee. Here comes the Holy Spirit to come down and indwell mankind. What happens immediately after the rapture in Revelation chapter 6? Or 7, I guess, is the better place to start. The Holy Spirit comes down and seals 144,000. So, yeah, I see a definite picture right there. Number four, where does he get the 210-year add-on to 5782? The answer is, out of thin air. All we know from the ancient commentators is that somewhere between 200 and 250 years, they didn't count because they were under the rule of evil kings and didn't think they ought to be counted. Why an unknown number? Does God want us to know exactly when the rapture's coming? No. So if it were me, I would have used, let's add 217 which would bring us to the year 6,000. Yeah,
1: they wanted a number divisible by 7. Yeah. And ten is divisible by 7. Yeah.
0: And if you're picking numbers out of the air, why not pick one that works out to what you want? Yeah, to? right. But he, he made the point that it wasn't just complete vagary, but that God was acknowledging that this was accurate because he was showing the like events. Yeah. So number five, can the Shemitah year be determined so easily as to just divide by 49? No, to get the Shemitah year, you divide by seven. To get to the seventh one, you divide by 49. Can be. And he did a lot to show the 116th Jubilee, the 117th Jubilee, the 118th Jubilee. He went through and mathematically showed that it really was consistent with the scriptures. It says if so, why does it seem to be such a mystery? Because I didn't know how they were doing it. Now it's kind of explained it. The last one is a really big point. What is the significance of the 118th? 118th. So if you divide 5782 by 49, you get 118. He made it tie into 1,180. Verses 118, and he did a little bit wrong, but he was just really trying to reach. 1180 can be associated with the flood, and he was saying, well, the rapture's kind of like Noah going into the ark. But let me give you some background material here. From an article called A Prominent Mystic, next year will be the final jubilee, the year of Messiah's arrival by Adam Eliyahu Berkowitz, everybody know him, he's a famous Israeli reporter. January 12, 2022 in biblical news. So Adam Berkowitz is going to report what this rabbi has shared with him. And here's what he shared. It says, quoting Leviticus 25.10 from the Israeli Bible, and you shall hallow the 50th year. You shall proclaim release throughout the land for all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you shall return to his holding, and each of you shall return to his family. That's really what Leviticus 25.10 teaches. But then Rabbi Fish adds this, quote, Rabbi Oran Evren informed me that next year, 57.83, will be a jubilee year and will usher in the Messiah. End quote. Today, in the absence of a fully functioning supreme Jewish court known as the Sanhedrin, the Jewish community in Israel neither marks nor observes the Jubilee year. Do you realize that since this article of January 12, 2022, they now have a Sanhedrin and they're meeting in what they're calling a temple that's a chamber under the temple mount. They say that they could use that chamber as the temple Until they get a building built up on top. I found that interesting today. Goes on. Rabbi Fish cited Rabbi Everin quote. Every seven days since the creation of the world has been Shabbat. Every seven years since the creation of the world has been the Shemitah. Shemitah means the Sabbath year of course. He noted that if the Hebrew year is divisible by seven. Then it is a Shemitah year. This year, for example, is 5782, which is the 826 Shemitah year since the creation of the world. He's ignoring those years that didn't count, this rabbi is. He says, quote, similarly, the Jubilee is the first year of the next Shemitah cycle. This has been true since creation. This year is 5782 divided by 49 equals precisely 118. So next year is the 118th jubilee since the creation of the world. The rabbis teach that the Messiah comes in the year following a Shemitah. That would be a year of jubilee. But they also teach that the Shemitah year will bring wars. Rabbi Fish noted that the gematria of the sentence, after the Shemitah, the Messiah, son of David, arrives, is precisely 1,000. This is where we get the 1180, verses 118. So it says 1,000 plus the 118, the number of jubilees since creation equals 1,118, which in Gematria is the first line of the Shema, declaring that God is king and God is one. Rabbi Fish said, after Messiah, after this jubilee, the entire world will recognize that God is king and God is one. That's where the 1118 comes in. Um, let me skip on down. It says at the very least, Messiah said that the, re- that the generation would not pass that saw the sign of the Olivet Prophecy that Jews regain possession of Jerusalem. So that was 1948. According to Isaiah 90, Psalm 90, not Isaiah 90, Psalm 90, back up the tape, Psalm 90. <coughs> it's from 70 years to 80 years, so the maximum 80 years added to 1948 is the year 2028, which is seven years from now. And if you've been watching the news, we're about to be in war big time. I
1: thought it was 1967 when they regained
0: Jerusalem. Nope, oh, turn to Psalm 48. psalm 48 messiah just refers to the generation that sees the fig tree begin to blossom won't pass until messiah returns but psalm 48 is a very particular passage that's not translated correctly in our english if you start in verse 12 of psalm 40 it says walk about zion which is prophetic jerusalem right all around her count her towers the towers are military towers so it indicates that jerusalem is back in jewish hands mark well her bulwarks consider her palaces that you may tell it to the generation following you see that the hebrew doesn't say the generation following it says the last generation the hebrew is lador achron lador achron the last generation So the last generation starts in 1948, which is the same as the budding of the fig tree. And then if you go to Psalm 90. Psalm 90 verse 10. Psalm 90 is the Old Testament passage that tells us that a day is to the Lord like a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. So his focus is on the time of the end. And in verse 10 it says, the days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength they're 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. So if the most that generation can be is 80 years, then the longest it could go would be the year 2028. And if you back up seven years, that's seven years from now. Yes, dear? I think Bob's question has more to do with it was the land of Israel rather than the city of Jerusalem okay let him ask it if he wants to clarify it but did that answer the question
1: well I've heard both I've heard both answers though I've heard that it started in 1948 but I've also heard that it didn't really start until 67 because Jerusalem did not come back under Israeli rule until then that was and I don't really know why you hear the different things because I don't remember the whole strings of those
0: most of those that are talking about the city of Jerusalem coming back into Jewish hands in 1967 say no add 50 years to that yeah and what does that bring us out to
1: 2017 was it? yeah
0: 2017
1: and I don't know what was supposed to happen then either
0: answer is, nothing happened then. Nothing happened. Ask, <laughs> yeah. me, in,
1: ask me in October, right? <laughs> exactly.
0: Exactly. So, why did I send this out? Because I wanted people to understand why. When they say, do we have to wait until next year? I say, no, no, let's wait until Yom Kippur to see if this is a year of jubilee. And this actually gave us mathematical indications and biblical proofs that this actually may well be a year of jubilee. When will we know for sure? Ask me in October. I know, but that's not today. Today's still September. All righty. If that helped, good. If that confused, I'm sorry. So let's get on with it. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Galatians while there's still a little bit of time. We're in Galatians chapter, Was it, 3? Yeah, verse 4. Galatians chapter 3, verse
1: 4. We can see why it's so difficult for people to understand because it was even confusing with you trying to show us point by point. So for a general person to say they really understand that, they got to have a whole bunch of stuff in their head to put those things together or what they think they understand isn't quite right
0: yeah that's why i didn't want to send the teaching out to everybody yeah. some people have studied with me for so long they know where i'm going they know where i'm coming from and they would see the connections uh-huh. and for others it's it's just more confusion very,
1: very confusing
0: but I didn't want to talk tonight without having sent it out to everybody, so at least they would know what I'm talking about.
1: And with young Kippur coming up, that was timely
0: because it's much better to do it tonight than to wait until young kippur are coming. And if we're not here on Yom Kippur, then we won't care anymore. Right? Some
1: are not here
0: tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Galatians chapter three, verse four. Here we go. I wonder if I... No, I'll just keep going. On the same recording. Verse 4 says, Have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. They're being persecuted for their faith. He says, if you're not really saved, you're being persecuted for no good reason. So he's beginning to say, Are you really saved or aren't you? If you're saved, you're saved how? By faith. But what if you come forward? You accept the Messiah. God bless you. You claim to be saved by faith. You made your declaration of faith. You've been baptized. You've done all that. You've stood up and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And then somebody comes through and says, "Eh, No, mm, you're wrong. No, no. Salvation is by circumcision. So let's all go down to the local mall and get circumcised.
1: They say, Okay.
0: Let's go get circumcised so that we can be saved. He says... Then, then you're not saved at all because you cannot earn salvation circumcision does not bring salvation that's not possible it never was, it never will be so he says have you suffered so many things that is all the persecutions you've been persecuted by the non-believers was there no good reason because you weren't really saved at all He's wanting them to look inside. He's not telling them that they're not saved. He's wanting to look inside and see. Self-evaluation. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15.
1: Would you, uh, would you say he's not just defending salvation by faith, but he's, he's countering... Salvation by Circumcision, but also in this book, isn't he countering Gnosticism? I mean, he's he's on two fronts, trying to say, look, I, I taught you this. Why are you listening to this, and why are you listening to that?
0: Yeah, Gnosticism he more addresses in Colossians, but I can't say he doesn't address it in Galatians. It's not what I would think of as one of his more main points.
1: Well, it was kind of like circulating in the whole area back then. Oh, yeah. So, it was a... Uh, a big opponent of the gospel, actually.
0: It really was, and still is. Yeah, still is. Uh, Mormonism, that's Gnosticism.
2: Totally.
0: Yeah, so there are a lot of people back in theological schools across this country that say Gnosticism didn't arise until centuries after Messiah, mm-hmm. but it's not true. It, it
1: arose centuries before.
0: It was centuries before. It's all throughout Paul's writings. Because Paul, when he's over in Colossae, that area was just ripe with Gnosticism. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. What's that next word? Yeah. If. You hold fast that word which I preached to you, Unless you believed in vain. Meaning unless your words of faith were empty. Not real. We have an emotional desire to be saved, right? We have an emotional desire. But that's not the same thing as true faith. And Paul lets us know in several places that you may think you got saved and you actually fell short. And he cannot tell from a continent away, whether you truly are or not. So he's trying to get across to them the importance to do self-examination. Look at your heart. I, I gotta admit, I have people that write to me and say, Wayne, am I saved or not? People that I hardly know. How do you make a judgment about whether somebody is saved or not? You make the judgment. You look in your heart. What's in your heart? Let's go back to Galatians. Chapter 3, verse 5. Therefore. Why a therefore? Therefore is when you receive the Spirit. Was it by faith or was it by works? It was by faith. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you. And works miracles among you. Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Again, he says, think back. Think back to when you got saved. You got filled with the Holy Spirit. You were so exuberant. You were so excited. Did that come through faith or works? What's he want him to realize? That was by faith. So why did I listen to these false teachers? Tell me that I had to be circumcised to get saved. That's what he wants him to come to. I guess honestly, that's why I do a lot of the teaching I do, is to get people to look at what they were taught growing up and see whether it agrees with the scripture or not. Let's go back to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14 verses 1 through 3 now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews should be Judeans and so spoke that a great multitude both of the Jews and of the Greeks believed how did the Gentiles come to believe where were they They were in a synagogue listening. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So these unbelieving Jews, how did they stir up the Gentiles and poison their minds against the brethren? By teaching them that what? Paul taught you wrong. That's not the way of salvation. God can only save Jews. you got to be circumcised. Circumcision, you become a Jew. Now God can accept you. Till then, ah, can't be saved.
1: Well, that was from the man's teaching of Gentiles are unclean. And Paul says, hey, that's, nobody is unclean. But that's what the Jews were teaching during that Period of history it yeah. everybody but us is unclean. Yeah, you can't even go in their house, and they better not come in your house.
0: Right, we know that from Acts chapter ten. So, so saying
1: you can't be saved. You can't have faith unless you're circumcised first. You're
0: you yeah, yeah just, God can't accept a Gentile. We won't let him.
1: They're, they're unclean. It's like like saving a pig. You can't save a
2: pig. Right. That's what they were saying.
0: Yeah, that's what, essentially what they're saying. Yeah. In Acts 15, when you found something
2: interesting with, the
0: Greek. interesting with the Greek, go ahead.
2: So when the men
0: came, came down from Judea and taught the brethren, it
2: says, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot
0: be saved. Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved, right? It
2: says, where it says you cannot be saved, it really doesn't say that in the Greek. It doesn't really say you
0: cannot be saved, it says? You don't have the strength to be saved. You don't have what it takes.
2: You don't have the power, the ability to be
0: saved. You don't have the power, the ability so to be te- saved.
2: They're teaching people you have to essentially help God. Like you, you don't have the power within yourself unless you're circumcised.
0: So you don't have the power within yourself to help God unless you're circumcised. Yep.
2: And then Paul uses that same phrase in 1
0: and Paul uses that same phrase in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that flesh and blood doesn't have that power to inherit the kingdom of God so, yeah.
2: so there's Paul saying nope <laughs> you, don't, like, you can't do this within your own ability you have to come to the Lord in faith not with your own merit not with your own strength Strength.
0: yeah so there's the two opposing viewpoints that we see is causing all the trouble in Galatia, and other places. So,
2: you know, and that helps kind of clarify, like, when Paul talks about whether you're weak in the faith, you know, like, if somebody comes along and says, oh, you don't, you don't have the ability to be saved unless you do this, they're going to, mm-hmm. oh, do I? You know, like, they're just going to kind of cower down to
0: that kind Oh, of- yeah. True enough. Okay, back to Acts chapter 14. Thank you for adding that verses 8 to 10 Acts chapter 14 verses 8 to 10 and in Lystra a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting probably going right where Paul or Daniel was going about Paul saying about strength a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked this man heard Paul speaking Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped up and walked. Did Paul say, ah, wait a minute, have you been circumcised? No. He saw the man's what? Faith. He had the faith to be healed. And Paul said, get up and walk. And what did he do? He leaped up. What does it mean leaping up and just getting up? It took strength. He jumped straight up. He was so excited. But the miracle was done because the man he had what? Faith. Back to Galatians. Verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. You realize, of course, that's not quoted right. Does everybody realize that? Keep a finger here. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 15. Genesis, thank you, chapter 15. What would I do without you? Genesis chapter 15. I'm still seeing Dr. Audron numbers on the board. It was fascinating, I thought. Genesis chapter 15, verses 4 to 6. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, this one referring to his servant, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. He said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted him for righteousness. Oh, in verse 6, we have the Tetragrammaton, which is the Lord. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, it says Abraham believed God. So what this is telling us is who is the Tetragrammaton? He is God. The Lord is God. There is no difference. They're using the word in the Bible interchangeably. God is a title. The Tetragrammaton is a name. Romans chapter 4. And of course that Tetragrammaton is in Romans chapter 9. Verses, Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10. If you will confess with your mouth that the Lord is Yeshua. That word Lord is the tetragrammaton. Romans 4. I'm going to have to get my tongue adjusted too. Romans 4 verses 1 to 4. Again we see a quote from Genesis chapter 15. And I do mean Genesis. What shall we say then? That Abraham our father was found according to the flesh? No. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness. But again, in Genesis, is the tetragrammaton. It's the Lord. Not to him who works. The wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Can we ever do enough to earn salvation? answer is no. Salvation never was by works. And anyone who taught that it was by works had done what? Had twisted the word of God. Messiah said, I came not to destroy but to fulfill. Those who were teaching salvation by works were destroying the law in that Jewish idiom. To destroy the law is to teach it wrong, to have people misinterpret it.
2: You know, it's funny, on one hand, you have people that teach, like, works, 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 works. Yeah. And then on the other hand, you have, well, you don't have to do anything. Right. So, I mean, it's like extremes. Yeah. Yeah. The two extremes. You have you know, the, the scribes and the Pharisees that said, you have to do all these works to earn your salvation, People today, churches today, teach grace, 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 grace. grace, grace. They play that
0: grace card, and a lot of that comes from the book of Galatians because they misunderstand the issue. They think the issue is, do saved Gentiles need to follow God's commandments? Where Paul's saying, you don't earn salvation through the works of the law. You obey the works of the law after you get saved.
1: He says God has. I don't know where it is, but God has created good works that we should walk in. Uh, God certainly expects us to do good works. Yeah. But you don't do good works to gain God's approval Correct. or to gain salvation. It's part of who you are.
0: He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. My commandments. And he said, if you don't keep my commandments, it's because you don't love me. Right. So it's a test of your faith. Let's go back to Psalm 106. Psalm 106.
2: You know, it's like what I talked about last week. It's that type of that you have to walk. Because if you tell people you keep the law, you keep you know, anything from the Old Testament, oh, you're you know, legalistic, you're this, you're that. Yeah. You know, but then you're, when you show them through the Scriptures, you know, having proved their faith by your works, there's nothing that they can come back with. Because in their mind, you know, good works are, you know, like, not God's commandments, but my like
0: chair of deeds. Ah, ah. So let's go to Psalm 106. Oh, right, we have two red numbers. I wonder if they're going to say we can't hear. Oh, somebody says it's October where I am. Okay.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Let's see what happens when we get through Yom Kippur. And somebody says, Wayne, will you explain the difference between a Jew and a Judean? Do we have any idea as to why it was translated that way? Yeah, we do actually, Susie. Um, The word Jew doesn't appear until 2 Kings, after the division of the land of Israel into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judea. And the Jews were those who were from the southern kingdom of Judea. And when they translated the New Testament, the translators were people who hated Jews and wanted us to think badly of Jews. So they, instead of saying Judeans, which would cause us to think of the residents of Judah, they want us to apply bad thoughts to all Jewish people. Yeah. Psalm 106, I'm hoping. Verse 30. 31. Because we've looked at three different verses that say Abram believed God and God accounted him for righteousness, look at Psalm 106, verses 30 and 31. Referring to the events at Baal Peor where Balaam taught the children of Israel to sacrifice the idols and chase pagan women it says then Phineas Phineas is the son of Aaron the high priest stood up and intervened remember he threw a javelin through the people that were leading others into paganism and the plague was stopped and that was accounted to him for righteousness to all generations forevermore so his action was accounted for righteousness because his action was based upon Faith. His faith. That's why he intervened, because they were leading people away from God. And what does the scripture say to do one who's leading others into paganism? Execute. To execute them. Yeah. You know, that's interesting that he was proving his faith by killing two people. He was proving his faith by doing what God said. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's not the way we normally think of proving ourselves to God, but... Okay. Back to Galatians. We're still in chapter... Three. Three. Six. Verse seven, in fact, we are. Therefore... Oh, then you have to ask, what do they mean? Therefore, because salvation is by faith, not by works, lest any man should boast... Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. That is a key point that Paul has made from the book of Romans on. Because remember where Messiah would tell them, don't tell me you have Abraham as your father. What they were saying is, we are circumcised like Abraham was circumcised, therefore were saved like Abraham was saved. And Paul's saying, nope. only those who are of faith are actually sons of Abraham. What about those that are circumcised, but they don't have any faith? Their circumcision is counted as uncircumcision. Is counted as uncircumcision. That's in the book of Romans. What did Messiah call them? You brood of vipers. So, if you are believing like Abraham, then you're a child of Abraham. If you have the faith. So, therefore, it says, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Meaning, they're the ones that count in God's eyes. Go back to Deuteronomy 30. All the way back to Deuteronomy 30. Verse 6. God promises when Israel repents and comes back to him in faith. Verse 6, it says, And the Lord your God will circumcise the heart, your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. That is the circumcision that God is looking for. The circumcision of the heart. Are you saved by faith or are you not saved by faith? Physical circumcision has nothing to do with salvation. Now let's go to Hebrews 11 verse 6 and see a perspective from the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. People often ask me, what do the traditional pastors do with verses like this? (coughs) The answer is they will say, that's inconsistent with the doctrine of once saved, always saved, so just ignore those verses. I will never tell you to ignore a verse of the Bible. I may tell you to ignore a preacher, but never a verse of the Bible. Hebrews 11 verse 6, but without faith, it's what? impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. That's not a period though, is it? How many people do I have tell me, I believe in God, that's enough. That's not a period. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Why do they diligently seek him? Because of their faith. If they don't diligently seek him, what are they lacking according to God? Faith. So if I ask one of these people, do you have faith in God? Are you saved by faith? They'll say absolutely. If you had asked one of the Pharisees in Messiah's day, do you have faith in God? Are you saved by faith? They would have said absolutely.
1: But they're wrong. The Jews today answer the same thing. Do you have faith in God? Absolutely. I mean mean, they really think that their faith is at least equivalent, probably superior, to the faith of Christians.
0: And that's why in Matthew chapter seven it always brings a tear to my eye when I see these people that seem to be so sincere get told they're absolutely wrong. It goes on both sides of the equation. It does, both sides. Let's go to James chapter 2. James chapter 2 talks about a profession of faith that's just empty words. James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? He means, can somebody who says they have faith, is that enough? I say I have faith, therefore I'm saved. He says, is that sufficient? And then he goes on with an example. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? What good did it do the person? Nothing at all. It was of no value. He says, thus also, meaning that was just an example, just an illustration. Thus also, faith by itself, meaning a declaration that I have faith. By itself, if it does not have works, is dead. If you have faith, your life will demonstrate it. How did Messiah in Matthew 7 say you could tell the true teacher from the false teacher? By their
2: fruits.
0: By their, fruits, by their works. What do they do? Do they keep God's commandments or don't they? they, up, they do not. Yeah. They outwardly look like sheep, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. If you had asked the people of Israel 2,000 years ago, are the Pharisees righteous, what would they have said? Oh, they are so righteous. What does God say? Whitewashed tombs, yeah. We're going to get to that, believe it or not, before we finish chapter 5. But we keep reading here. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Meaning, how does one demonstrate faith? By their, work. by their works, by their actions. James says, you say you have faith? Yes.
2: Prove
0: it. Prove it. Mm-hmm. What happens when we get to Judgment Day and the Lord says, what did you do for me? And we say, well, nothing, but I believed in you. I believed. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. In other words, you don't do that well. Right? Okay. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, I believe in God, that's enough? Yep. What does this say? Nope. Not. But do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Didn't he already tell us that? He wants us to hear it again telling us that faith is a verb he's telling us that faith is a verb it's not only a verb it's an action verb. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? The answer is no he was justified by faith when he offered Isaac his son on the altar what does genesis twenty two say now I know. Put a finger here. Turn back to Genesis 22. Math majors, which comes before 16 or 22? 15. But in Genesis 22, we see the words from the Lord himself. Verse 12. He said, do not lay your hand on the ladder, do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. So in chapter 15, it says, Abraham believed God and God accounted him for righteousness. And in Genesis 22, he says, now I know that that faith was real. So what is the book of James trying to tell us that we're saved by faith? No, that how is our faith demonstrated by our works? And that's not the same thing. I hear people lots of times say, that's exactly the same thing. You're telling me that salvation is by works. No, it's not. But your works demonstrate that your faith is real. Let's keep reading in James chapter 2. Verse 22. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? Now we see what James is really getting at. That the faith was demonstrated by the works. And by works, faith was made perfect. That word perfect means what? Complete. Demonstrated. Obvious to everybody. I
2: feel like that verse fully encapsulates what we're trying to prove to people.
0: That verse, fully encapsulate what we're trying to prove to people, which is what?
2: Faith and works working together instead of them being like oil and water.
0: Yep, they're not like oil and water. But neither do the works <coughs> help our faith save us. And you didn't mean to say that. That's not your point. Your point was that the faith works. That's what faith does. It motivates us to action. To demonstrate our love through faith, through actions.
2: Well, I mean, it's like, you know, as a teacher, if I have a student who's like, you know, trying to prove that they're obedient to whatever I'm telling them and they don't do a thing that I say, then it doesn't matter how many times they say, I'm gonna do better, I'm gonna do better, I'm gonna do better I'm like, prove it.
0: Prove it. That's right.
2: Prove to me that you're obedience and that you're that is
0: real. What was the parable Messiah used? One child said, yes, I'll do it, and didn't. didn't. The other said, no, I'm not gonna, but then gave in and did it. And which one was the father more pleased with, it says? The one, that did it. the one that actually did it. Let's continue in James chapter two. Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see, then, that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. That is not teaching salvation by works. It's saying that a declaration of faith with no works to support it is empty, is vain. It's of no use or value. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? We would say, no, she was saved by faith. It says in Hebrews 11, she was saved by faith. But how did she demonstrate the faith? What if she had made this great declaration of faith and then sold out the spies to the soldiers in Jericho? We probably wouldn't have a story of Rahab in the scriptures, would we? It says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. You're right, Daniel. That's exactly what we're trying to get people to understand. Is you're not saved by works, but if you're saved, you will do the works.
2: And so it's almost kind of saying here in verse 26, if your works stops, your faith dries
0: up. Yeah, isn't that what the Lord said in Deuteronomy eight eleven? If you forget me by not keeping my commandments, statutes, and judgments. And then, what?
2: and then that causes your faith
0: to wane? Yep
1: when
0: you do the works, to remind me who you are huh? that's right All righty, go back to Galatians I think we're on the same page hopefully the recorder's picking everything up I'm hoping so Galatians chapter 3 we're up to verse 8 and the scripture what scripture? the New Testament? What we call the Old Testament. no it's what we call the Old Testament that's all they had and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by, by what? Faith. By faith. preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you, all the nations shall be blessed. How is that the gospel? What does it mean, in you all the nations shall be blessed? Oh, let's go look at that a little bit. He's talking about the fact that Messiah would come through Abraham. Go to Genesis chapter 12. First of all, let's see where this promise is. Genesis chapter 12. Verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said to Avram, that's Abraham before God changes his name, Get out of your country. The country was Ur of the counties, from your family and from your father's house. His father was Terah. He was an idol maker, a village idol maker. To a land that I will show you, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That final portion is a promise that through him would come the Messiah. But there's another interpretation too that's complementary. And it says that by the time Messiah comes, Israel will have intermarried being spread out through the world to the point that every living person is going to have Jewish ancestry. Whether that's true or not, we'll find out but I suspect it is. Certainly possible. possible. Do you ever listen to any of the videos of the genealogists who show all the charts and say that if you go back just not too many generations, go back a thousand years, that everybody is a relative of yours? It's interesting to listen to them. I don't know if they're right or not, but it's interesting to listen nonetheless. So let's go next to the book of... Habakkuk, chapter 2. Habakkuk, have a cookie. Habakkuk. Just a little old book. Chapter 2, verse 4. Habakkuk 2, 4 gets quoted a lot in the New Testament too. So, behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. That's not the part that gets quoted, it's the next one. But the just shall live by his faith. So, how is one justified according to Habakkuk chapter 2? By his faith. faith. So, look at Romans chapter 1. Verse seventeen. Who does Paul quote? Habakkuk. For in it that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. How? From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For what's for? Because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So if the just shall live by their faith, does the faith cause them to live in ungodliness and unrighteousness? Just the opposite. The wrath of God is poured on those who are godless and unrighteous. What's another term for unrighteous? Lawless. Lawless. Let's go to Acts chapter 15. Again, people just this week have said Acts chapter 15, verse 20, is the only thing a Gentile needs to do to be saved. They don't even realize what they're saying. So you're saying then salvation is by works.
2: It
0: is to be saved. So salvation is by faith. If we're living by faith, we will avoid these four things. That's for sure. Let's read verses 8 to 9. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them, that's the Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them purifying their hearts by faith acts chapter 26 verses 17 to 18 acts chapter 26 verses 17 18. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance against those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul was given a specific mission to make sure that the gospel message got out to all people. So he saw that the scripture said that salvation was open to all. So why are the people in Galatia listening to these false teachers saying no, salvation is only available to the Jews? It was never that way. Romans chapter 3 verses 28 to 30 I even want to go to 31 just because I'm just that kind of guy verse twenty. therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. What establishes the law? Faith. So are faith and law opposites? No. One makes the other stronger. One makes the other stronger.
1: And the assumption that Gentiles are not to be under the law is completely contraindicated there by verse thirty and thirty one. Completely. Both are justified by faith. So do we make the law no? No, of course not. Correct. The The law is still the law.
0: The law is still the law. I wish they wouldn't use the word law because the word Torah, what it really means is instruction and in righteousness. Can you think of why they might have wanted to use law instead? Law sounds so much boring. Law sounds bad. Uh,
1: just this week, I heard a person referring to Moses' teachings as the law. Every time God said that is written in stone. But when Moses said, I, I want 80 people to help judge the people, I want you to do this, I want you, that's not the law. The law is what God says.
0: There are but the easy way. ways to tell in Hebrew whether it's a commandment or whether it's not.
1: Right. I mean, the, the, one of the examples this guy gave to say that we're not under the law was do you build a parapet around your roof every time you build a new house? No, well, you're not under the law. You don't have to. Uh, wait yep. a minute. That was Moses telling people to do that. That doesn't say it. God spoke and said, "You shall do this." Moses said that. Moses was basically a lawgiver. He, he grew up in Egypt. He knew a lot. But when when Moses did things, that was that's suggestions that's not God speaking but mm-hmm. you know, when God said something
0: uh, scripture is what? theonuptas, that's God breathed
1: that's, that's even better than when E.L. Hutton
0: speaks <laughs> yeah, absolutely true let's go to Romans 5 verses 1 and 2 continuing the thought that God said salvation's for all people Romans 5 1 and 2 Therefore, having been justified by faith, we, we who? Jew and Gentile alike, having been saved by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, to whom also we have access by faith, and to this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Without faith, it's impossible. What? To please God. Go to Romans 9, verse 31. We may as well start in 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness... Have attained to righteousness even the righteousness of faith. By that he means the Gentiles didn't even have a copy of the Torah. They weren't trying to be saved through the works of the law. So how were they saved? By faith. But Israel pursuing the law of righteousness. That is trying to obtain salvation through the works of the law. Has not attained to the law of righteousness. That is the law didn't get them there. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone as it's written. Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Of course, that stumbling stone and rock of offense is Messiah. So if you reject Messiah and try and be saved by the works of the law, what's it going to get you? The lake of fire. I was going to say the smoking section, but, well, yours is more clear. And
1: actually, what he's saying there is that they, they got the cart before the horse. They started saying, if I follow the law, I'm fine, I'm saved. That's never been that way.
0: It's never been that way. It wasn't from the beginning.
1: Need the, need the horse faith and then the cart fits just fine.
0: Absolutely. As we keep reading Galatians 3, that's the very point Paul is making. Salvation without faith is an oxymoron. You know, That makes sense
2: why Messiah is considered a stumbling stone because here he was coming on the scene saying you're not saved by your no matter how many good works you do you're not going to hey, you're not going to be saved, essentially, what he was saying. You know, he was saying your faith, like he was trying to teach people the right way of how to use the law.
0: Right. The law's purpose was not to earn salvation, it was instruction and righteousness. And
2: then, exactly, and then that was what Paul was saying, was Messiah was the goal of the law.
0: Right, Messiah is the goal of the law. The law is to lead you to Messiah, to show you that you can't be saved by good works. Right. I agree with you 100%. So Galatians 3, verse 9. Whoops, we got a red number out there. Let's see what it is. The law is just and good. Yep, that's what it says in the book of Romans. It's just and good. It's just not the way of salvation. That's not what it was meant for. Verse 9. so then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Those who are of faith, meaning it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile. If you're saved by faith, then you are a descendant, a child, a seed of believing Abraham. Go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Can you reject Messiah and still be saved? Oh, but I believe in God. God. Can you jump out of the airplane and still clap? <laughs> well, you know, For a <laughs> tiny period of time. You know,
2: John says if you deny the Son, you're denying
0: the Father also. John says if you deny the Son, you're denying the Father also. You cannot have the Father without the Son. That's verse John 5, verse 1. Yeah, but first, let's start John 3. We'll work our way up. John 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So he's telling us right here that Moses lifting that bronze serpent was a picture of Messiah's crucifixion. And those who looked upon the serpent raised up on the stake were healed of the snake bite. And people say, I've been
1: wondering for a thousand years
0: what that meant. <laughs> Verse 15, that whoever believes in him, in whom Moses? No, the Son of Man should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, that's Jew or Gentile alike, man or woman, black or white, makes no difference. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That word believes is what kind of a word? Participle, ongoing belief. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. Meaning what? They want salvation, but they want to continue to walk in their sins. Yeah. Hear me well. They want salvation, but they want to continue in their sins and have salvation anyway. Does it work that way? It does not. How do we know? Yeah, first John chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 are pretty clear on that. In John 3 verse 36. John 3:36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's pretty powerful. John 14 verse 6. You guys all know what it means. Messiah said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Why do you think they changed it from obey to believe?
2: Because you don't,
0: because they're one, you just think you don't have to do anything once you believe. Yeah. Yeah, so you have to tie that with John 14:15. if you love me, keep my commandments. It's, I should not keep saying, they translated it such as to keep us from sin, but it sure looks that way. If it quacks like a duck. But John fourteen six, Messiah says, there is no other way to God except through him. The more I hear about the new temple about to be built in Jerusalem, the more I keep hearing them say, this is to be a house of prayer for all nations because we are all seeking after the same God. Are we all seeking after the same God?
1: We're all seeking heaven, but that's not the same God.
0: That's not the same thing. Doesn't that pave the way for a one-world religion? It paves the way for a one-world religion. Hmm. With
1: The temple cooperating with other faiths. Yeah. And it's like King, King Hussein in Jordan just said, I, I'm the keeper of all the faiths in Jerusalem, Christian, Jewish, and Muslim. Yeah. Remember him saying that a couple of weeks ago?
0: I didn't hear it, but I've heard it recorded that he said it. And
1: the, uh, Joel Rosenberg wrote a long response, and he said, I'm a friend of the king of Jordan, but what he said is wrong.
0: Yes, he I is, agree. He
1: is not in charge of the faith in Jerusalem.
0: Yeah, and the reason he believes that he is responsible and in charge of all faiths is he is a direct descendant of Muhammad. Right. So he thinks all religions should fall under Muhammad. Right. Exactly. Back to Galatians 3:10, as we're running out of time. For as many as are of the works of law, what's that mean? Of who are trying to be saved by the works of the law are under the curse. For it's written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Is that a true statement? That is a true statement. Because what does it mean to break a single commandment? The wages of sin is death. So if you don't continue to do all the commandments perfectly, if that's your way of salvation, where are you going to end up? Lost. Lost. I'd say the smoking section, but, but you know where I'm going. Let's go to Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. Is it just a New Testament concept? The answer is no. Deuteronomy 27:26. The people are shouting back and forth. Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this Torah. And all the people shall say, Amen. So they take upon themselves the curse if they refuse to follow the commandments of God. Psalm 119 verse 89 is a verse that's very familiar to us. If you don't have a t-shirt with it on it, think about getting one. Psalm 119, verse 89. What's it say? Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Does God's word change over time? Oh, but you got to remember this modern world. People think homosexuality and drug abuse is okay, so God must allow it, right? Nope. That's right, just nope. Mark chapter 13. Yep, our world is certainly depraved, as you said. Mark 13, verse 31. Heaven and earth shall what? Pass away. But my words will by no means pass away. The people who say, well, that's Jesus talking, not God. Well, you don't see Yeshua the same way I do. Because Yeshua is God from all eternity. And our time is expired. We'll pick up next week, Lord willing, if we are still here. In the book of Romans. Some of you say, Galatians. no. Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. Galatians chapter 3, verse 11.